Hi, this is Brandon Brandflakes Felcher, Community Manager for STO, and you're listening to Priority One Podcast. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 150, another milestone of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, November 14th, 2013, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Tony. All right, Tony, we've got a lot this episode. So what do we have in store this week? Well, we'll start celebrating this milestone with plenty of special guests and lots of content. This week, we trek out the science behind the Dyson Sphere with Dr. Robert Hurt joining us again on Priority One Podcast. In Stone News, Season 8 has finally hit holodeck, and we'll be giving you our first impressions of the new content. Several dev blogs have been published as well, so we'll be highlighting those for you, too. Later, we are joined by Star Trek Online's community manager, Brandon Branflakes-Feltzer, to share his insights on community feedback for Season 8. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we cannot express how humbled and honored we are at Priority One Podcast that you would nominate us for this year's ninth Annual Podcast Awards. And thank you for taking the time to vote for us over the last two weeks. Now, we wait for the final results in January. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and help us reach our monthly financial goals. Captains, don't forget PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In her latest edition of In Development, Priority One Blog's editor-in-chief writes about our Trek personas, our Trek alter egos. Check out her blog and tell us your RP alter ego in the comment section for the blog, only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. As a matter of fact, you can join the team at PriorityOnePodcast.com as a blogger and share your opinions, your reviews, and the latest news with our audience. Reach out to us via email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com if you are interested. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. We're growing a small but tenacious in-game community, and we want you to be a part of it. Join us with just an alt or with all of your captains. Just join the Priority One chat channel. In-game command is forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Or just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. That's incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's trek out the science behind the Dyson Sphere with visualization scientist Dr. Robert Hurt. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
We welcome back Dr. Robert Hurt, visualization scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. How you doing, Doctor? I am doing wonderfully, thank you. And just to correct, I'm actually at the California Institute of Technology, but coordinates I coordinate with Jet Propulsion Labs. I have a lot of affiliations. Well, you're a popular man, to say the least. We're glad to have you back uh, in any in any event. So, um, we met and talked a little bit at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas about the science of Dyson spheres. By now, uh, Star Trek Online players have been able to log in and see what a cryptic slash Star Trek Dyson sphere looks like. But what are the characteristics of Freeman Dyson's generic old school sphere? What is a Dyson sphere? <laughs> what is it indeed? Well, you know, realistically, a Dyson sphere is a theoretical abstraction of what we might look for if we were trying to find evidence of significantly more advanced species in the galaxy, right? It is this concept that, you know, on Earth that we utilize energy to power our society, right? We, we largely go and dig up, you know, fossilized bits and pieces of plants and dinosaurs and put it into cars and plants. But obviously, this is not a long-term, sustainable, you know, million-year-into-the-future endeavor. And the idea that as we advance and we still need energy, the obvious source in our solar system is the sun. And we could, uh, you know, the idea of solar energy is the ultimate eventual logical extension of uh, long-term sustainable energy, you know, tune of billions of years. The idea would be that, you know, uh, as a civilization gets more advanced, it utilizes more and more solar energy to the point that could imagine uh, the, the ultimate limit within a solar system would be to utilize all of the solar energy from a star. Of course, in order to utilize all the energy, you'd have to have stuff out there collecting all the energy, which would mean you would have to more or less encase the entire system in some kind of shell that would absorb the energy and allow you to repurpose it for whatever things you needed to do it with it, like, uh, I don't know, make omega particles, I suppose. <laughs> so, but uh, when um, Freeman Dyson uh, first proposed this, uh, he, uh, he basically was trying to throw out there, what are things we could do observationally to look for signs of intelligent habitation in the galaxy? And as a kind of an extrapolation, if a, if a civilization became so advanced that their, uh, their energy needs were so advanced, you know, you could... Uh, imagine just without the hows and whys of how it would actually happen that they could reach a point that they would somehow find a way to utilize uh, uh, bulk of what was going on in the uh, bulk of the energy that was emitted from the star and the one thing that physics says you can't get past there is that you would have waste heat left over you know if you were to encase our sun in a, in a sphere of material with solar cells whatever super efficient things you'd still have heat that would have to be radiated past it. Thermodynamics catches up. And so if you, uh, the, the idea being then that uh, a, a sufficiently advanced civilization might leave heat signatures that we could actually observe in uh, in our data. And uh, this is, of course, where infrared telescopes come into play because the kind of uh, heat emission that would be going on, these things would be you know tens to hundreds of degrees above absolute zero, which at those temperatures where you're putting most of your energy out is in the infrared part of the spectrum, not the visible part. And so the, the whole concept, I guess, of the Dyson sphere was not so much of an engineering blueprint as more of an idea of let's look around see if we see anything that looks like a what might be a star or a weird thermal signature that might be a hint that someone has found a way to utilize the energy oh, output of their system it would be somebody or some civilization blocking out all the 
good stuff, you know, the higher frequency electromagnetic right. stuff, and then just letting out a bunch of heat. Right. Uh, of course, and, it could happen at any possible range of things, right? You, you know, this idea of a Dyson swarm where you don't have a complete hard shell, but just a whole bunch of things in orbit, collectors, all swarming at different uh, distances and, and orientations and, and picking off increasingly large fractions of the star. In which case, there you would probably see a star, and but that it would have an infrared excess caused by the interception and re-radiation from these particles. As you put more and more of these things in orbit, as their reflectors become bigger and bigger and they absorb more of the heat, then eventually you get to a point where you're at this theoretical limit of, of completely encasing the star. And that's when, yes, at that point, no visible light left over. You're only seeing the thermal waste that's re-radiated after, out of that. Well, at the Meet the Devs uh, event at, uh, at Star Trek Las Vegas, there were a couple of really vigorous discussions about gravitational forces inside the shell versus outside the shell, mass and surface area, and maybe what the ceiling of the Dyson sphere would look like if you're standing on the inside. Now, now as I recall, these discussions took place at, at the I-bar, and there weren't enough napkins to go around to draw on. So, <laughs> exactly. so that was probably good practice for this podcast where we can't show people pictures. But but have you had a chance to go fly around in there yourself inside the uh, inside the Season 8 Dyson sphere? Indeed I have, but it probably doesn't have much in common with what it would actually look like. <laughs> well, let's start. Let's start with the one thing that, that we had was the big topic discussion. The gravity. We talked a yes. lot about the gravity. So, so you know, when you're flying around inside there, the buildings stick to the floor. Yes. If we just start digging into the real physics, as physics as we understand it, of these things, this is where I'll get to be the party pooper on on oh. all the things. What's interesting? Let's say you made a solid shell around a star. Right. There's this this sense that well, as long as you're standing next to that shell, the gravity of the shell might might pull you to the surface. Well, first of all, you have to realize there isn't actually a lot of material under your feet there. I mean, even if it's, you know, a mile thick, that's like nothing. That's the the, the gravity that we experience from the upper mile of the Earth's crust is almost you know, negligible. It's, it's the rest of the Earth mass that's attracting us. But even more interestingly, it doesn't actually matter how thick that shell is. Inside that shell, we're going to experience a net zero gravitational attraction to the shell at all in any direction. Ooh, ooh, ooh! I think I know the answer. Why? Because mm-hmm. we spin. No. Oh, no, we spin <laughs> nice try. If, if it's just a static shell and you're just inside that shell, physics works out very neatly that inside any form spherical distribution of mass interior to that shell, the gravity exactly perfectly cancels itself out in all places. So inside that shell, the only source of gravity left over that you're going to experience is the gravity of the sun, not of the shell. So in the absence of anything acting, if you tried to stand on the surface of that shell, you would actually end up just slowly floating off and accelerating little by little and falling into the star overhead because there'd be nothing to pull you down. Bummer. Which, of course, means that it's very hard to imagine living inside the surface of a Dyson sphere without lots of artificial gravity generators. Now, admittedly, the gravitational acceleration you're feeling out there is really, really tiny. It is less than 0.05% the acceleration due to gravity at the Earth's surface. So it's half of a tenth of a percent or something. So the artificial gravity plates that we're walking around on don't have to work that hard. Right, uh, right. You'll just have to, you don't have to overcome the, the pull of the sun. Uh, you just have to generate enough pull that you don't fall into the sun after a very, 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 very long, slow tumble. <laughs> Uh, of well, course, this also means you've run into the same issue of, you know, where does the atmosphere go, right? You have to have this artificial gravity or something if you actually want to hold atmosphere near that shell surface right? as well. And and so you, you have it. And there are some weirdnesses that happen. It's actually very hard to make gravity do something like that. It's uh, weird. So, in fact, you might want to imagine partitioning the, the, the shell off in ways that you could isolate atmosphere to different areas. And I notice in the uh, cryptic gra- uh, Dyson sphere, they seem to do something like that. They show these large dividing walls 
walls that seem to partition up and, and yeah. atmospheric conditions change from one to another, which is certainly uh, a reasonable interpretation of that. Of course, the other thing I think that's really important to note about Dyson Sphere is just how freakishly large these things are. <laughs> uh, the uh, I noticed in the opening uh, uh, dialogue you get, uh, they actually tell you that the, this Dyson Sphere has the surface area of 250 million worlds, which is absolutely spot on. In fact, I, I did a calculation. If you built a Dyson Sphere in um, around our sun at one astronomical unit, it would be about 500 million uh, uh, Earths. So 250 million is totally plausible for a slightly cooler star that you build a slightly smaller shell around. But if you ha- stop and think about it, remember, okay, 250 million Earths. This is yeah. like, how, how many how many ha- inhabited worlds are there in the entire Federation? I mean, I'm thinking yeah. that's on the order of thousands. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. we're talking and there's about six this... billion of us on this planet right here. Right. If you took the entire population million. of the Earth and spread them out across the inside of a typical Dyson sphere, that would be a population density roughly equivalent to a dozen people on the Earth at any one time. <laughs> yeah, the I phrase mean, mind-boggling just doesn't quite cover. Freakishly, absurdly amount, ridiculous amounts of area. <laughs> and so, for me, so whenever Dyson spheres pop up in, in science fiction, like in Star Trek or whatever, I, I always feel like they miss the point of it. That, you know, the most interesting thing about the Dyson sphere is that it exists, not that the Voth happened to be there. You know, it's like, like where did this come from? How? Who built buildings? across the equivalent of, you know, 100 million times the number, or, you know, 50 million times the number of worlds that the entire Federation inhabit. Who had the time to actually build cities over all of that? Who lived in that? You know, that, that, that has the population of, you know, several million galaxies, if that was a fully populated Dyson sphere. You know, yeah, it, that, it, mind-boggling big yeah. numbers and big questions. Well, but unfortunately, we can't shoot big questions. We have to be able to blow some things up. But, and that's that was true. that's that's my wrap-up question to you. You know, do you see anything else that struck you as a compromise between what a scientist would produce for scientific accuracy versus what a video game designer might create fun? You know, was there any anything else that struck you as like, oh, they they had to do that because it's a game? Well, two things. One is the fact that you can see the curvature of the Dyson sphere in the distance, and you can see kind of continents and things as it curves up. Where the reality is again. And remember, planet surfaces area yeah. equivalent. By the time you know, something as large as the Earth's orbit, and by the time that horizon starts to curve up, and you would see it, you know, you would be it would be like looking at the Earth through a telescope before you would see any surface features, right? Yeah, it would all be just like like mushed together. Of course, you know, they do that for drama. You want to get that feeling that there's right. this continent, but you know, the the kind of sphere that you're seeing there is more like a sphere the size of you know Jupiter, <laughs> not something the size of an astronomical unit. And, radius. Uh, I guess the, and of course the other burning question is given, again, this immense area of this sphere, why are we actually fighting with the Voth here? I mean, (laughs) why don't we go over like a third of an AU? I mean, there is plenty of room for everybody. Lots of room for everyone. I mean, how do we even find the Voth on the sphere? How much time would it take for us to scan the equivalent of 250 million worlds of surface area to locate, you know, a dozen ships? Admittedly, who needs warp? Drive. Well, <laughs> who needs warp drive anymore? You just go to the Dyson Sphere, and you got 250 million planets to colonize now. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. There, there's definitely a, a, a hugeness associated with it that is uh, truly 
beggars the imagination. So this is the layman here. Um, so this is not something that's okay. Well, if I want, if if in our solar system we wanted to try to build a Dyson sphere, it's not that we are creating something that is the orbit of uh, of um, of Pluto, right? No, it'd be like an I'm Earth sorry, not Pluto. Uh, yeah, yeah. One astronomical oh. unit typically is what's the idea that you would build oh. it at roughly the same distance the Earth is to get the same kind of surface area illumination that the Earth receives. Okay, so it would be in the Earth's orbit. I would presume that if we were to try to capture that, we would have to go a little farther than than Earth's orbit. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're just trying to capture all of the energy of the star, you know, you could build it at any diameter. But if you, you know, you, you could be much smaller, you know, use less material, it would get hotter, right? Because, right. Uh, But the idea is if you wanted it at a diameter in which there might be potentially habitable area on it, then you would want the right amount of sunlight falling on it to leave it at a comfortable temp, which would be, you know, surprise, surprise, the same distance that the Earth is from the sun. Right. So that's what motivates that one astronomical unit distance. And yeah. just for yucks, I ran some, you know, back-of-the-envelope calculations uh, on my lovely numbers spreadsheet on my Macintosh and iOS yes. devices. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> I came up with, if it, let's just assume, you know, you have perfect replicator technology and you could turn anything into anything as long as you have the mass to draw on. I did a quick calculation and determined that if you were to basically take Jupiter and dismantle it and run its mass through a replicator and turn it into, say, titanium as a, a reasonably strong but reasonably lightweight metal, and you wanted to build like a shell, I actually came up with the number that you could get a shell built around the star, one astronomical unit diameter, about a kilometer thick using just the material from Jupiter. Now, yeah, but I mean, realistically, if you wanted to really try to take a Dyson sphere and sort of make a little more sense of it, you could certainly go in and hypothesize that only tiny fractions of it would have been left or designed for habitation, that vast areas of it would really be purely for energy utilization and collection that you might siphon into a more restricted band. Oh, let's just say a million worlds worth of surface area. You know, let's <laughs> be very conservative, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, make arguments like that and then come up with a rationale for something that large and maybe cut down a little bit on this, like, really, who built all of this? <laughs> yeah, take it down from mind-boggling to just mind-bent. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. Hurt, thanks once again for stopping by. We can't wait to hear from you again. Uh, you know, season nine, I'm sure we'll have uh, some other crazy, uh, you know, uh, science fiction, uh, extraterrestrial searching thing that we need to have you back for. Hey, maybe, maybe they'll just dial it back and we'll find a ring world. And yeah, yeah, it needs a dice just a ring world. You know, yeah. Very manageable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dr. for stopping by. And now let's check out what happened in Stone News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captains. The moment we all dreamed of, but never expected, has finally arrived. Star Trek Online has been ported over for Max. That's right, Captains. This MMO shows no signs of stopping. And, according to first impression threads, it looks to have been released with very few game-breaking bugs. From what I've read, at least, it seems the C-Store hangs a bit... Uh, and of course, if you're running on a Mac without a discreet, aka dedicated, graphics card, you may miss out on some visual quality. So, tell all of your Mac friends that have expressed interest in playing Star Trek Online, now they can download the game and play it without third-party workarounds. So Tony, you're a Mac fanboy. Tell us how it's running. It actually it was pretty smooth. Um, I was one of those people using the workarounds. There's a uh, kind of a program called Wine. Uh, there was a user, I think his name was Doe123, uh, way, way back, a couple years ago, uh, uh, made a wrapper 
that you could install and then uh, install uh, Star Trek Online inside that wrapper. Uh, and you could play it. It, it. And it worked. It worked pretty well. I played it on my uh, laptop uh, occasionally on the Mac side. More often than not, I would just boot into the Windows partition. But uh, I upgraded to OS X Mavericks, uh, which wiped my Windows partition. Basically, the only thing on that was Star Trek Online anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. Uh, and then I uh, installed the client, and it fired right up and worked pretty good. Um, I did notice a little bit of an improvement in performance over the both the wine wrapper and, quite frankly, over my Windows experience. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of, it's a little bit better than uh, what it was. The laptop I'm using is about three years old, so it's at the very edge of what the minimum uh, is. I've got a 330M NVIDIA graphics card and a i7 dual core, not a quad core, dual core. So I'm kind of at the lower end of what is expected to be able to run it. Uh, but if I turn down all the video settings, my frame rate's pretty good and uh, works great. Now, I was sick last week, and I missed this discussion, but I, unlike other hosts of the show, I listened to the show. And I was thoroughly disgusted with the attitude and the, the vitriol and the uh, <laughs> uh, sheer condescension of the chief executive officer of this organization and the main host of this podcast. And I was appalled, not only on my behalf, but on behalf of the entire Mac community at the disrespect shown by the perpetrators of that horrific event. I will not stand for it, sir. I will not stand for it, sir. It was not my intention to alienate Apple users, those who use Macs uh, on a daily basis. I did approve of Skiffy coming in and editing in. The views of Elijah is not necessarily the views of our own productions. It was good. Nice work. The free Solanay Tribble is now available in lieu of a Tribble test weekend. We're now getting special season-related Tribbles for free. Well, for a short while, and maximum of one per character. Petting this subspecies of Tribble will grant the following buffs to your character. A plus 5 anti-proton resistance rating, a 1% critical chance increase, and a Dyson mark once per hour. So go grab your free Tribble. Uh, you didn't have to test Season 8 on Tribble. To get this Tribble, you just get it because Cryptic loves you. In addition to the lifetime subscription sale available until December 5th, they've also added a new veteran reward. Claim your faction-specific EV suit. P.S. If you're still a free-to-play player, this might be a good time to coerce... <coughs> Excuse me, that was the meds. I mean, nudge Santa into delivering an early Christmas gift. And this is uh, par for the course on uh, something I brought up and then Al agreed with me on. Treating the customer as the player. You know, not, not, the, not the characters on the account. The player is the customer, and so that EV suit is unlocked account-wide now if you're a lifetime vet uh, or a 500-day subscriber. So, again, there used to be a per-character C-store unlock. Now it's a account-wide vet reward. Uh, so more of that trend is happening, and I, I, I look forward to seeing more of that from Cryptic. And we also have another development from not Cryptic, but from Cryptic's parent company, Perfect World. Noel Destreviz Holmes of Perfect World stops by the forums again. He gives us all fair warning that the times they are a changing around easier parts with the uh, ARC launcher. They've got a new website network, 
arcgames.com. News from Perfect World can be viewed in that Arc client or on the website itself, the game website. Minor art design changes are coming to the forums, but everything else stays the same. Changes to the Zen purchase flow, which is long overdue. That's a much streamlined uh, process according to the flowchart that he posted. So that's, that's a big thumbs up there. Uh, so good job on that one. Uh, new game guides are going to be featured there, and early version of player profiles, so you can rack up your accolades and um, show what ships you're flying and stuff like that. I imagine they're going to be borrowing some gateway functionality uh, for that. Players who wish to launch their games through the existing launchers, i.e. that would be Steam and the current uh, basic launcher from Cryptic, without Arc are welcome to do so while Perfect World continues to iterate on the Arc client. We here on the show have been covering this issue. I have some thoughts, as you might imagine. Forum user Sunfranks got into respectful, but to me, worrisome exchange on the forum. Mr. Sunfranks, who I think we've heard from in the past on some of our dev interview questions, um, he's a bit concerned about some unexpected behaviors that he observed the ARC client performing after he isolated it on a virtual machine on his computer and just let it do its thing. Apparently, there was some hard drive scanning and some ET phone home attempting after Sunfranks opted out of the data sharing features of the ARC client. Now look, it's a beta. Maybe there's a glitch in the code that didn't effectively opt Sunfranks out. Maybe the client is interacting with his virtual machine set up in some sort of weird, funny way. Hey, this is what betas are for, right? That's why ARC isn't mandatory yet. But let's not kid ourselves. An oft-used phrase uh, in this exchange that's been going on between Destroviz and the community is that one of the design goals of ARC is, and then he names off, you know, privacy, respect, uh, performance optimization, et cetera, et cetera, all feely good type stuff. Hey, we're, we're gamers too. We know what your concerns are and we're trying to address them. That, that's good. What is not said is that there are other design goals also. To advertise, to monitor, to gather, to inform, to deliver, so on and so forth. Perfect World is trying to balance those goals. But none of those goals, whether they're you know, customer-centric, like, uh, like the first ones I discussed, or publisher-centric, like I discussed after that, none of those goals are going away. And Perfect World is not going to tip the scale so far in the direction of privacy and system performance that they're going to rob themselves of the potential to turn the data that the players do allow them to collect into another revenue stream. So no matter how much we moan and groan, no matter how many forum threads get started, it ain't happening. They're, they've got design goals for the customer, design goals for themselves. They're going to try to balance them as best they can, but none of those goals are going away. So this is how it is. It's going to happen. And rather than ask Perfect World to remove the features that they must have in order to justify their investment in this platform, let's try a different tack. What could they offer you, the player, as a real feature that would make all the other features of ARC, let's say, tolerable? Maybe it's a whiz-bang tagging and advertising system for the foundry missions and the authors that create them. Maybe it's a team matching service. I'm looking for a healer or a tank or a control captain. Maybe it's a fleet recruiting board. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe there's nothing that is going to make this right for you. But if we don't tell them what we want, they have no way of knowing what it is that they need to give us. So this is our first community question this week. 
What is your idea for a feature that Perfect World could build into Ark that might make it a more acceptable, or God forbid, even useful addition to your gaming experience? Let's start with the first Season 8 dev blog with number 19. With a recent revamp of the Klingon and Romulan tutorial released with Legacy of Romulus, it was high time to give the Federation tutorial a much-needed facelift. Now, now, I don't know about you, but over the last several months, the new content that the game has been providing has been helping Star Trek Online feel more and more like an actual Star Trek game, that I am now a part of the Star Trek mythos, the universe. In the blog, content designer Matt S.T.O. Decker Miller writes, We took inspiration from the movies as Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, all featuring brand new crews. Some even had crews of cadets being thrust into action on their very first mission. This was what we wanted to emulate as your first Star Trek experience. Now, we have a note uh, incoming from Elliot, but unfortunately he wasn't able to join, and he would like to share this thought. Our producer, Elliot, writes, I think one big missed opportunity with the tutorial was the lack of really stirring and convincing audio. For example, when you first clear moorings on your first cruise, OMG, where was the epic music? Now, I don't expect a licensing deal with James Horner, but something, anything would have been great. All of the scripted cutscenes seem to be lacking a little audio punch. Now, I, I, can, I, I can see that. Now, I've only gone through the first mission of the tutorial, right? So I just beat the Kang. And now I'm back in Sector Space and I have to go find the Kittimer. I, I can see that now. Now, in retrospect, I can understand where he's coming from. I mean, it was still great. The mission was still fantastic. Just walking down on and starting in Starfleet Academy made sense to me. Right? Felt like I was a part of Wrath of Khan, right? With the first cadet. I loved feeling that, that I was, I was experiencing that, that same type of scenario as it was in these films. You know, if we look at J.J. Abrams' films, again, these are cadets that are thrust into action. And I really enjoyed it. The dialogue was very reminiscent of the Star Trek experience that you have when watching the films. Uh, and and gosh, it just from from scene to scene, it just it just helped. It moved it forward. It was a, a forward motion in the story that just definitely wasn't there in the initial tutorial. No fault of Zachary Quinto. No fault of Zachary Quinto. You know, it was they were they were on a deadline and they had to pop out a tutorial. Well, the games changed, and the Klingon the Romulan tutorials in the Legacy of Romulus expansion clearly indicate that that's where the game turned the corner. I mean. They're like, okay, we're really going to move the story now. We had a story that we released with, and it was fine. We got campaign missions and blah, blah, blah. But now we're going to actually progress. And that progression was, like, too good. <laughs> it's like, we, you know, the Romulans have a really kick-ass beginning campaign. The clans have a good beginning campaign now. And now the Fed just looks dated. And, and unfortunately, they had to throw out most of Quinto's work. I mean, that was kind of sad. But, I mean, it, it's one of those painful cuts that needed to happen. Um, and that may be why it's lacking some audio punch now, because, like, we sort of blew our audio Federation tutorial budget, you know, 2009, <laughs> 2010, so we're, we're just going to move forward. Uh, but, no, I, I played the uh, new tutorial on Tribble. I didn't get through the last mission because it was bugged at the time that I played it. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's a head and shoulders improvement. Uh, it's really it's, it's a lot of fun. I was 100% immersed in what I was what I was experiencing 
right from the start at the academy to developing this relationship with Flores to running through the halls of, of the starship of this little Miranda class nose picker. It, it just, it still felt like I was a cadet. You know, it's just, it was very immersive, very, very immersive. And I really appreciated it. And I think, you know, Elliot, uh, it, now that's just a matter of nitpicking, right? Because I don't think that not having the epic, you know, release the moorings soundtrack took anything away. I, I, it certainly would have added. It certainly would have added to it. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's still, I don't think it takes away. I think this is still an amazing experience for any player that is not only a Star Trek fan, but new players alike, you know? There's a lot of touchstoning in, in this in this tutorial, from the new J.J. Abrams movie to the old ones. Plenty of touchstoning. But you still appreciate it. You can still walk away going, oh, yeah, man, I'm playing a Star Trek game. This is fantastic. I feel like a cadet that is now a first officer who's now a captain. Oh, my gosh. Um, this is our next community question for this episode. What are your thoughts on the new Federation tutorial? Do you think it remedies the barrier to entry for incoming players? Does it do a good job of teaching game mechanics whilst immersing you in the Star Trek mythos? Share your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the forum post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. And if you haven't played it already, freaking play it. Start yourself a new character and play that tutorial. Season 8, dev blogs number 20 and 21. Uh, these introduce players to the new Voth lockbox currently in circulation on Holodeck. The lockbox is another assortment of items available to players, including a new playable Voth ship. The heavily offensive and defensive Voth Bastion Flight Deck Cruiser, equipped with the Reactive Shield Amplifier Console. We've heard about this ability on the new Voth ships, but just in case you're coming back from a long hiatus, activating this console grants the vessel complete immunity to incoming damage, up to 100,000 total damage, from all sources for a limited amount of time, while simultaneously reflecting this damage back at attackers that fire upon that shield facing. So is the uh, duration of the ability timed, or is it just an immunity up to 100,000 total points? Uh, maybe 10 seconds or 100,000, whichever one comes first? Okay, so there is a 20-second duration for the ability. So it'll last 20 seconds, or disable once 100,000 total damage is taken, whichever comes first. Players will also have the uh, chance of scoring themselves four Mirror Universe ships, including a patrol and advanced Mirror Universe escort for the Federation Captain, uh, Mirror Universe Vokuv Carrier for the Klingon, and the Hafe Assault Warbird if you're a Romulan. And what else can players get their digital little hands on, Elijah? Well, the Voth lockbox will also include an entirely new universal console called the Spatial Charge Launchers, which initiates a barrage of spatial charges sent at the enemy targets. According to the blog, each spatial charge will target the location of this enemy, fly towards their location, and detonate in a large and powerful blast. Fast-moving ships may be able to avoid these blasts, but each individual charge will be devastating if not avoided. Now, this reminds me of uh, a little bit of the shrapnel torpedo available on the Tal Shiar Adapted Destroyer and Battlecruiser. Uh, get the shields down, fire this sucker off, and explosion! There are also three new genetic resequencers in both ground and space flavors, one for each profession. So there's a new science trait, a new engineering trait, and a new tactical trait for both space and ground combat. 
We won't go through each of them, uh, but we do encourage you to check out the full blog on Star Trek Online's website. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Now, personally, of the traits, the one that caught my eye and I thought was an awesome little ability is the Engineering Orbital Devastation. It just sounds good. Yeah, man. That replaces your Orbital Strike with Orbital Devastation. And what that does is Orbital Strike is, is localized, right? So... You hit the one spot. Orbital Devastation will follow the targets around. I don't even care what it does. If I had a chance to replace Strike with Devastation, I'm taking Devastation. Lastly, you can expect to find new Voth Separatist duty officers, which possess the unique free thinker trait, improving their efficiencies with performing duty officer assignments within the Dyson Sphere. There's also new Voth anti-proton weaponry, which are enhanced using standard anti-proton consoles and abilities. All right, let's talk some ship specs, shall we? Tony, give us the goods. Well, the new Bastion Flight Deck Cruiser boasts the following stats. A 44,000-point hull, which is big. Uh, Six degrees per second turn rate, which is slow. 1,500 crew, uh, your typical four forward, four aft weapon configuration. A 343 console slot, that's 10 total. Three tacks, four engineerings, three science. Then we've got a Lieutenant Tactical, Commander Engineering, Lieutenant Commander Science, and then an Ensign and Lieutenant Universal slots. So a little customization uh, there for you. Plus five to all categories of uh, power. You've got the cruiser communication array abilities, uh, typical of the flight deck cruisers, the uh, shield frequency modulation, and uh, tracked fire. Elijah, what are your thoughts about this? So the only ship that I could have easily compared is the Lockbox Jem'Hadar Heavy Escort Carrier which is slightly more fragile, but definitely faster. Still, the two universal seats on the Voth Bastion does give it an interesting upper hand. And yet, the Jem'Hadar does have an additional plus five to weapons, so how about you, Captains? What do you think of the new Voth Bastion cruiser? Is this a ship you want to fly? Is it more attractive than the other available flight deck ships in-game? Let us know what you think in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the forum post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Available through the Lobby store is the Palisade Science Vessel, which is equipped with an aceton field generator, which does a lot of complicated things for up to 20 seconds. Not only will it drain surrounding enemy ships' energy levels, but it will also build additional energy on the ownership, granting scalable damage resistance. And this energy will be expelled at the time of the owner's choosing, or automatically, after 20 seconds, sending a devastating energy shockwave to damage nearby enemies. The Voth Bastion Flight Deck Cruiser and Voth Palisade Science Vessel are equipped with the unique Voth Bridge. While visiting your bridge, you'll also be able to access your account shared bank, move into a small craft, and contact different ship departments for DOF assignments. And uh, Skiffy, our audio engineer, invited me onto his Voth Bridge the other day, and it's a bridge that actually has a bridge. It's a bridge to nowhere. It goes up like to your view screen and then stops. So you, you like walk up to your 70-foot IMAX size view screen and you know you're you're in command of the universe at that point. It's kind of an impressive interior. I like it. The lockbox dev blogs are uh, a lot to cover, guys. So we're not going to do them all here. We encourage you to read more on the official Star Trek Online website for more information. All right, captains. In season eight, dev blog number twenty-two, we're introduced to the first fleet spire featured project. It's available now until around when server maintenance starts on November twenty-eighth. 
titled Alien Vistas, this project will unlock a balcony inside your fleet spire, which you can step out onto and look around at the spire's surroundings. This balcony can be opened or closed at any time using a console located nearby. Hey, you know, the devs are meeting us halfway, Elijah. We complained. They listened. This has functionality. It opens and closes. Tony, tell us about patch notes. Well, there's uh, huge amounts of them, and uh, because we just had a season drop, there's kind of little iterative uh, patches fixing bugs and whatnot almost every day, so I'm not going to go through all of it. Uh, We'll have a link to the Season 8 patch in our show notes. It's huge, of course, Um, but there's a few highlights in there I want to hit. The AFK penalty, it's back. So apparently they've ironed out uh, the wrinkles on that one. And so if you are going AFK during any one of the usual queued fleet events, you're going to get slapped with a penalty. I believe it's a two-hour penalty. You get no rewards uh, even after the mission closes, and um, you're stuck. So if you're going to play, just play. Just just play. That's what all you got to do. Just, just play. And you won't get hit with this penalty. Also of note and interest to me, the uh, Foundry is finally getting a feature we've been looking for and asking for for a long time, but not as exciting as I might have hoped it to be. Um, We have author tagging now. Only the author doesn't get to tag. Anybody but the author who completes a Foundry mission can tag a Foundry mission with space, ground, combat, story, puzzle, group, or solo. And then users can search on any of those tags individually or a combination of up to three of them. You can also start a search that would exclude any mission that's tagged with up to three of those. Uh, so it's a handy little feature. It's not quite as robust as I might have hoped for, but it's a start, and it's way better than what we had. Um, unfortunately, it's user-generated stuff, so all the missions are currently being republished. So you can't play all the missions right now. I did a search on my uh, author name and my mission names, and they're not republished yet. Um, typical for a major season update but we'll just have to be patient but there's no tags out there now because it's waiting for users to play the missions and tag them appropriately so you know get out there guys uh, earn some foundry dilithium uh, tag those missions for the authors and uh, it's going to be a better feature for everybody if we get out there and do it so before we move on i do want to ask you tony how has your experience been getting into the dyson sphere and and playing the content within the dyson sphere it's complex right it is complex isn't it yeah it is i, I that's as far as i'm concerned that's a good thing it, it it's a deviation from the norm all right so first off i kind of wished that when you first go through the gate that you kind of there was an animation where you fly into the Dyson Sphere, kind of like in Relics, right? Where you yeah. get sucked in and you get pulled into this Dyson Sphere. I kind of wish that that would have been nice. I, I, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, like there's a gate right outside of the Dyson Sphere, and that gets you inside or something of that nature. I think that would have been a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and two, there even for me, there was a little bit of a barrier to entry into this Dyson Sphere, right? I'm doing the missions, and it's telling me to go talk to, you know, person A, person B, person C, person D. You know, you get into the Dyson Sphere, you gotta go talk to these contacts, pick up a mission from them, where they introduce you to the various aspects of this battle zone. But I still found myself getting lost a little bit. I don't know if I was... You know what I think it was? I think I was expecting STF-style 
events. I was expecting I can load up a menu and say, okay, I want to do this, and then, or no, I want to do that, and no, I want to do this, and pick, and then pug a team and start doing these things. And that's not the case. This is actually now the MMO that I've been asking for, right? The MMO where I have to reach out to people and say, hey, is anybody around that can, you know, can we go through this battle zone together and reach out to players? You got to do a little thinking. You have to like, right? If you're going to yes. fly up to something, you have to look around and go, well, okay, I'm the only one here and there's four battleships there and a Citadel Dreadnought and I am not going to survive that encounter. I need to wait for more people to show up. Or I'm going to run, I'm going to look around the map and it's all red on the battle zone. And I know that I can't take the whole map by myself. So I either need to change maps, change instances, or wait for more people to show up. I mean, you actually like you have to kind of like be in your environment a little bit and sort of look around for what's going on. And you have to rely on people to show up. That's the thing. I've been asking for this for quite some time, right? The necessity to open up zone chat and say, hey, is anybody around? Uh, instance number four is all red and you know I want to do X, Y, and Z. Or I'm, go- I'm flying through the battle zone and we have to take these spires and nobody's around. Can anybody help? Here I am at this junction of what I have been asking for and I find myself going, damn, I kind of don't want to reach out to anybody. <laughs> you were sick. You're right. I was You're sick. Grumpy. I was sick. I was sick and I was grumpy. Um, and now that I have accepted the fact that this is now MMO gameplay where I have to rely on people to complete an objective and progress through these objectives, I am okay with that. I've accepted it, right? Because I was expecting STF, right? Click the mission, pug it, I get warped into the area, and I got to do it. That's what I was expecting, and it's not that. It's fly to the location, MMO style, and engage an enemy. But listen, I am, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Season 8. I like the content. Now that I've digested the fact that they've delivered what I've asked for on so many occasions I, I'm going to be able to enjoy this better. What do you think, Captains? Here's our final community question. We've had like four community questions so far. Here's the last one. Tell us your thoughts of the content in Season 8. As with the previous community questions, let us know what you think in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the forum post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. And now let's interview Brandon, Brandflakes Feltzer, Star Trek Online's community manager, as we talk about Season 8. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko, authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Joining us this episode on our 150th episode is Star Trek Online community manager Brandon, Brandflakes Feltzer. Welcome back to the show, Brandon. Hey, thank you, and congrats on 150 episodes. That's incredible. Wow, time flies. <laughs> that it does, that it does. Now, it's 150 episodes combined, so it's it's sure. when you and Mark had first started to mm-hmm. when James and I took over with Elliot and uh, and now Tony and, and all the other special guests that we have, and, and it's been a wild, fantastic ride. It has, and I think, no, I'm pretty sure we've hit the two-year mark because, um, or just about, because I'm about to celebrate my two-year anniversary here on Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. man, <laughs> time has really flown. You guys are doing great. And uh, your nomination, that's awesome. I can't Thank wait to you. find out the results. I know we've all been voting, so keep up the good work. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you for, for your support and, of course, the support from everybody in the community. Now, now, sir, you kept us a little behind schedule here. I did. I apologize. I was it's- late. 
This is a tight <laughs> ship we run, you know. I know, I was a few minutes late, but you know why? I was actually in the contested zone in-game, <laughs> and for the first time, I got a, we got a bunch of people in there, and uh, we took over the whole zone, and we finished that special event that happens. So once you control the whole contested zone, all the towers in there, it starts a special event with uh, four different Dreadnought groups, and... I was finishing that. I thought it would be a little bit quicker, but man, those dreadnoughts are tough. <laughs> but we get, we did it. We finished. I got 30, uh, 30 dice and marks from it. <laughs> cool. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> all right, so let's let's jump right in. Now, you were recently at the San Fran uh, Star Trek convention, weren't you? I was. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it's right here in our backyard. So uh, we had a dozen or so devs go. Um, you know, that decided to go on their own. And it was between Friday and Sunday. Uh, But the majority of us there uh, were there on Sunday. And we did a player meetup after, which was really cool. We got players together and just talking about the game. And so it uh, it was cool. It was obviously the weekend before Season 8 launch. So everyone taking a a little bit of a last breather before Season 8 launch. And it was cool to talk to the players and, you know, answer questions about the content and and new things coming up and uh, maybe some hints about future things. So... Yeah, it, it was a good time. I love, that's what I really love doing is player meetups and also, you know, events, anything hanging out with the players. And you're going to see that a lot more, you know, more likely in game. I don't think I'm going to be getting out to all the conventions, but uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, but Captain Smirk has joined the team and he's helping out quite a bit. You see him posting in the forums, the news posts. So, you know, he's kind of taking that slowly over where he'll be posting up blogs and stuff and myself, I'll continue as well, but he'll be posting up a majority of them. So that way I can focus on more community stuff. So getting in game and just chatting with players, running more events uh, and things like that. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's still a lot that I, I work on with, you know, with CBS art. You know, I work very closely with them in terms of getting blogs up on the site and information. And I still oversee um, all of that uh, and, and write some and pass it along. And, of course, the dev blogs, the devs write it. But doing editing passes on that. So you really probably won't notice anything other than more time spent in game chatting with players and doing community events and things like that. More live streams. You know, the last live stream I did before the Season 8 preview was back for Legacy of Romulus. But, you know, I'm going to be able to do that weekly and maybe more often. We'll see. My next live stream is already coming up. It's going to be next Friday. I'll announce it uh, in a news post today if you're listening to this because I bet this show is going to come out on Monday, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so I'll post up a news post about the live stream and I'm just going to be hanging out and probably have prizes to give away and stuff. But I want, I want to do that more often and this is going to enable me to do that so how about those voiceovers did you get did you get anybody at the convention to uh agree uh well i mean i think any star trek actor we've spoken with have always expressed interest in it it all comes down in the end to what comes through in terms of legal stuff and docs and costs and things like that we've reached out to a few people so you just have to stay tuned to see who comes on next but it's something we are actively looking at you know including as we go forward is what voice talent is familiar to the players and surrounds the content that we can get in so that's gonna be really cool i'm excited for you to find out who we're who we're thinking at next <laughs> but he can't tell us anything Dang it. no it's too <sighs> soon because you know too i mean things change like 
I think I was listening to your show and you talked about how like you found out about Michael Dorn the same week that he was featured in the episode and Al came, wasn't he on the show? Was he on the show recently? Or maybe that was uh, G&T. One of the shows and he was talking about how the process for that went and you know it wasn't pretty solidified until coming down to the wire there so that's that's when we could start talking about it when we knew for sure it was going to be in the episode and such. You talked about on G&T. It's really cool that he's in the game. We didn't get to it. He recorded off-site. I don't know if you guys saw a tweet from Al like before you guys even knew it was a uh, I think maybe two weeks before we announced Al tweeted pictures like oh in a v- recording session and it just showed um, the backs of people's heads exactly looking at food <laughs> and that's when Michael Dorn was recording his video so well uh, season eight the sphere dropped on Tuesday it uh, did we, yes and it just in time for our 150th episode so thank the team for scheduling that so <laughs> conveniently for us appreciate that <laughs> I will team. I will let them know very nice. So, so was this? It seemed pretty smooth to us. How did how this yeah. compare to some of your prior launches? This one. No, I uh, I think this is uh, our smoothest seasonal launch yet. Um, the foundry is still down, so I think that plays an important part. It was down for a little bit longer than anticipated with some of our past updates. Um, we stopped republishing today actually because it seemed to be a little bit slower. So we're looking into why missions are republishing slower and we hope to start them re- the republishing of the rest of the missions after our next maintenance. Um, I don't know when that maintenance is going to be. Well, I was going to uh, ask because I've been checking for my missions out there every day and they, they haven't come back yet and uh, people, there, there have been a few threads out there on the Foundry sub forum, people kind of scratching their heads. So, Well, there's an official thread in the Galactic News Network where I posted the maintenance timeline and I've updated that thread today. Uh, oh. with that information. So that's where you'll see official updates on anything Foundry maintenance related to the season. It's still, in terms of launch, very, very, very smooth. I, well, one thing I, I did appreciate when I saw it out there, I, there uh, before the launch of the season, you guys were saying, here's the Foundry thing. You know, this we're going to take it down, and the reviews are going to be down, and they're going to come back, and then this is how we're going to do it. I mean, yeah, that we've come to expect that from prior launches, but this time... You guys came right out and said, here's the plan for the Foundry. So there was no question about it. Yeah, we. I have actually, I think, since Season 7, maybe it was even 6, have posted a thread similar to that. Just to kind of give authors a heads up uh, first. And then on launch day, uh, post the maintenance timeline in the, in the official news forum, the Galactic News Network. So, yeah, I mean, we, we want to keep our community updated as much as possible, and we work really, really hard to do that. For instance, in the bug reports subforum, you'll see that several threads have team is investigating in the t- been added to the title, and we add that so players know exactly that, okay, this is already known, and the team is investigating it, so they can not have to worry that, oh, you know, is this bug known? So we're trying to do that a lot more and as much as possible, so watch out for that, too. All right, now you touched a little bit about this uh, earlier. You, so the plan is to... To start doing many more community events in the future, right? You mentioned one is being planned for not this Friday, but next Friday? Yeah, it's a live stream. And so, Captains, you'll be yeah. listening to this on, on Monday the 18th, so there'll be an event on the 22nd. Can we look forward to more of these live stream events? Yes. I mean, honestly, I'd like it to get to a point where I'm doing it weekly. So uh, so that is the goal. And same with my community events. Those uh, were like every other week or so, sometimes a little bit longer in between. I'd like to get those weekly as well. Like next week I have planned for a community event and a live stream, which, <laughs> you know, is, is two big events in there. So I'm excited for that. And I think we're going to start to see that increase. Amazing. That's awesome. I did get a chance to watch the replay, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it looks fun. I mean, you, you, it looks like you had a lot of players joining in with you, a lot of interaction. And what has been the general feedback of it? Positive from everybody? For the live stream? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they really enjoyed it. Uh, we have a new mechanic in there too, how we're giving out prizes. Basically, I say a keyword and everyone types the keyword and they're automatically entered. And then I roll the dice and it automatically picks someone who said the keyword to give away prizes. And I'm, I'm pretty sure each live stream I'll be at least giving away one prize, whether it's costumes or like a starter pack or, um, and then like last time I even gave away a legacy pack. So I'd love to continue doing that. And I definitely plan to have special things to give away each stream. So, uh, so players can tune in and play alongside me. I think next Friday I'm going to spend quite a, a bit of time down, down in the battle zone. Killing yeah. dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that, those are things that are in game, but let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, some out of game stuff that you've been doing and hopefully we'll see more of, uh, like uh, uh, more literary challenges, more foundry yep. challenges. Yeah, uh, the literary challenge that was supposed to go up on Season 8 launch day, I actually extended the current one for another two weeks. I did that for a few reasons. One, uh, to allow players more time to play through uh, Sphere of Influence, since it was um, basically the literary challenge was a prequel to uh, Sphere of Influence. Um, And then there's a part two coming, which will basically be reporting in about your findings and a debrief, basically, uh, for what you experience. So that should be going up uh, not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after. So I'd run those every other week. The reason why I do that is so authors have enough time to write them. It's not that I couldn't do them more often, but I want to give all authors a chance to participate in them. And if I put them out too fast, it might be too much writing. So those will probably stay every two weeks. And Foundry Challenge will come back when the editor comes back, right? Yeah. Well, I probably will give it a little bit of time after the editor comes up. I think that's what we did for the last Foundry challenge and those are typically uh, every 10 weeks or so so six weeks to play the mission or six weeks to make your mission three weeks for reviewing and then one week downtime uh, to give authors a chance to you know uh, recuperate it's a lot of work and then uh, and then put up the next one so yeah we're definitely due for challenge challenge number nine and hope to have that up not too far after the editor comes back and then once reviewing comes back up in those things all right okay and now pvp boot camp uh, we've we've seen those guys come and they've stuck around a, lot, a while or we, do we have anything up on the horizon for them coming i don't think so not right now i think they're uh well they posted actually a session uh that's going to be going on i think you can sign up for it in the pvp boot camp sub forum okay. so they're they're still continuing now yeah. uh winter is coming this it isn't is. a game of thrones. it's not a game of thrones reference it's a snowman reference so we got snowman's <laughs> coming back snowman. oh yeah and oh my gosh there is a uh, cute event where you actually go through the queue to queue up for it. (laughs) Queue. Pun pun intended in that one. Uh, But in the PvE queue, there's a really fun event. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to play it. It involves gingerbread men. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) Q's got some tricks up his sleeve. He's a... We would expect nothing less. Uh, (laughs) And of course, a new ship to look forward to. Um, I won't say what it is yet. And I believe even though there's a new ship you sh- may be able to get the old ones still. So, oh, so they, they might bring the Breen cruiser back too. So Possibly, yeah. Uh, we plans, to- yeah, you know uh, Al's disclaimer. Plans yeah. can always change, but uh, that's, I think that's the current plan right now. Uh, any idea when we might be seeing that event go live? Early to mid-December. Okay, all right. All right, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be looking forward to that. So, All right, so you know, here's, here's a bit of a, a tough question. Sure. Perfect World is uh, releasing the art client sometime next year, and the four have had their say we've had our say on our show about it uh and now you're on 
Priority one. Uh, mm-hmm. And here is a circle of trust. We want to leave the mic open to you. There's been a lot of player concern uh, regarding the move to the art client. Actually, as a matter of fact, last night in the live stream, players got very worked up about it. What can you tell us about the art client that has, hasn't already been discussed? And what concerns can you address for the players that don't quite understand or appreciate the direction of art? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, most importantly, Noel, who's the community team manager, is kind of taking the lead on this. And he's put up two blogs on the website, uh, one a few weeks ago and one just Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday that it went up. So first, make sure to read those. It answers a lot of questions. Uh, Second of all, Right now, ARC is only focused on our, the website transition. So we're going to be uh, transitioning to a new website. The goal is to have that before the end of the year. There's no date right now on when it will become basically a replacement for the launch or anything. So once there is a date set, we would provide that. But right now, there's no plan and there's no solid date for that. So you can continue looking forward to launching the game as you currently launch it. There's definitely no date set right now for it. Uh, and if you're using Steam, can launch the game as well. If you have questions or concerns, I strongly urge you to read the blog uh, that Noel's put up and post in the form thread that's linked at the bottom because you'll see he's going through and answering questions. Please ask them in there. Uh, There was one concern that someone brought up about scanning and things like that, and he went through and said, you know, if you've opted out of it, that it should not be scanning. So if for some reason you're seeing anything weird, here's what to post so we can pass it along to our QA team. Massively also put up an article recently that talked about ARC and just that blog in general, but at the bottom it talked about Tara Lynn. Um, She actually reached out and spoke to Noel and will be sharing her interview with him, I think probably in her next Captain's Log, or maybe the one after, or maybe it's a separate blog. So look out for that because, you know, I'm a player, she's a player, but she's very passionate about the game as well, and she got some really good questions answered and kind of her concerns uh, addressed. So uh, look out for that. I don't have the text right here in front of me. I am not involved on that project as much as Noel is. So I, you know, everything I know is basically what he's put in the blogs. There's no plan right now of when it would become mandatory per se for that you have to launch it through ARC. And what I can say is that we, we had the, the opportunity of meeting Noel and he's a great guy and he's totally passionate uh, about what he does at Cryptic Studios. Uh, and is a big fan of the fans uh, and is dedicated to them. And, and I did get that from him after meeting him at Vegas this last year. So if it's in anybody's great hands, it's in his. So I'm looking forward to his replies and, and addressing those player concerns. I'm sure he will do that. He will, uh, absolutely. And he's taking the hard questions. So yep. please leave your questions, your feedback and such. You know, we want to make sure it's clear and that you have the answers and that you feel that any concerns are addressed. I mean, it's important to us. So we're going to open this little part of the mic up to you to see if there's any last minute things, any awesome tidbits of information you want to share with us. Of course, we've got the winter event coming up. Then we, we celebrate uh, the, is it f- three or four? Is it four Fourth. years now? Four, four years. Year. Four yes. long years. Yes. How, <laughs> how far we come. Years. We have, we have. Other than the winter, looking forward to the winter event coming in early December or mid-December, uh, anything else down the pipeline that you might be able to share with us? Uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up, of course, for the winter event. But beyond that, we've got the anniversary event. We're starting the planning stages of that. We've got some ideas being thrown around and some progress already being made on what's going to happen with it. Uh, so stay tuned for that. 
Let's see what else? So we, season uh, nine's right around the corner, right? So uh, you, you, yeah, you, you, you tell tell us, you know, give you us know. everything. Give us everything right now. <laughs> My favorite quote of Al is, I forget what season, but a season launch, and he's like, "All right, uh, season X is out today. Content drop resumes tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> I've already beaten the big dinosaur. I mean, come on, I'm done. I'm done. I've flown around. I beat the dinosaur. Uh, give me more. I need more now. More, more, I mean, more, more. <laughs> I, I, man, I love flying through the adventure zone because there's just like a lot of things to do it really feels like exploring um you know it's it's purposely meant to be you know fly around and you're going to find things to do we're so used to an sto go here do this do that but uh this is a great step towards like really just adventuring uh and you know in new romulus even yes it was adventure zone but there was a clear path you could see the path on the map you know where to walk to (laughs) with the adventure zone it's kind of open it's it's an interesting experience to players and they're not used to it but you're going to find things out there that are really awesome. Like, I don't know if players know this, but when you're doing duty officer missions, you'll find certain lore that opens up that you can learn more about the story and what's going on. The reputation system, I think players today and yesterday just started hitting tier one. And there's a cutscene that advances the story, and that's going to continue through each of the tiers. So make sure you're going through your tiers to, and you're going to get some really cool story tidbits uh, and learn more about the Voth and what's going on with the Dyson Sphere. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that there were cutscenes between tiers. That's really nice. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so other than exploring, what, uh, what is your favorite part of, of Season 8? My favorite part of Season 8 I, I probably going to be the Battle Zone. I think a lot of players prefer space combat in STO. However, I think the Battle Zone is probably the most fun I've ever had on the ground going through there. So that's I think that's my favorite part. I've never been a fan of the ground battle stuff in in Star Trek Online. I have had a lot of fun killing dinosaurs. The ground combat really turned a corner with this thing. It was was a little glitchy when the game first launched. It got a huge improvement in Season 4. Killing dinosaurs is kind of addictive. It uh, it's it, it really jumped things up a notch. Yeah, like time flies so fast when yeah. you're actually playing down there, and then you'll look at like your rewards and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of marks. This is a lot of dilithium. Ding uh, ding 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 ding. Yeah, yeah the awesome. little counter just rolls. Oh yes, here, here's a request. We've got to have some sort of Mario coin counter thing for when we pick up the little purple commendation <laughs> yeah. things when you run around and pick up those. We got to have some kind of like sound effect for that. That's you know, to, to put that right in. We got to you tell the devs it has to be done. <laughs> I'll pass that along. <laughs> Uh, uh, For our Klingon fans, I heard a Klingon ship is in the works. Um, We've been kind of talking about it, and I heard it may even have five forward weapon slots. No, it's it's only fair. Scimitar, uh, Avenger, the Klingons need one too. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited about that. So that's that's in the works right now, and I think uh, the goal, the hope is to get it out before the end of the year. It's already November 15th. There's like 45 days left in the year. That's crazy. Well, Christmas. Well, <laughs> All right, Brandon. Well, thank you so very much for stopping by. Uh, we, we very much appreciate it and, and for joining us on our 150th episode. You're the man who started it. We certainly appreciate uh, everything that you continue to do for the community working at Star Trek Online. It's really all my pleasure. And I'm thankful that my two-year anniversary falls on Thanksgiving because I'm very thankful for everything. So <laughs> thank you guys for playing. Happy 150 episodes and look forward to the next 150. Awesome. That wraps up our interview with uh, Brandon flakes let's go ahead open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming message coming in sir hailing frequencies open see we are getting to know each other we hear from sano sky rat yay elliot's back as for the question of the week none of my friends have mac but i could play it at film school please get nog to play aaron eisenberg 
That would be awesome. Coming to us via Facebook from Rob Ippolito. A friendly reminder that if you guys are going to ask for votes, you may not want to alienate your Mac using fans, such as myself. That's wise, wise advice. Wise advice. It is not my intention to alienate anyone. The damage has been done. I love everyone, and I respect power Mac users. Uh, Every week we get new followers on Twitter. We're pretty sure they're all real people. Thanks to everybody who's jumped on the Priority One social media and retweeted our calls for votes for best podcasts. Thank you very much to everybody who did that. Uh, Stay on that social media train. Be sure to retweet and favorite our tweets. Thanks, everybody. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So let us know what you think of the show or submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section for this episode or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Remember, the questions are, what are your thoughts of the new Federation tutorial? Do you think it remedies the barrier to entry for incoming players? Does it do a good job of teaching game mechanics whilst immersing you in the Star Trek mythos? The second question what do you think of the new Voth Bastion Cruiser? Is this a ship you want to fly? Is it more attractive than the other available flight deck ships in game? And finally, if there was anything you could think of that might make Ark tolerable or even useful, please tell us so we can tell the devs. Well, captains, let us know what you think. And now we have the ability to receive your voicemail messages. You can reach us at 609-619-0834. Again, that phone number is 609-619-0834. We've also included a new SpeakPipe widget on the website, which is uh, a big red button on the right side of the website. You can uh, leave a voicemail using your computer uh, microphone without having to dial a single number. So we look forward to hearing from you. Hey, Priority One, it's Brandon Brandflake Seltzer, Community Manager for STO, and I wanted to call in and congratulate you all on 150 episodes. Uh, It's been quite the journey, and you guys are doing an awesome job. Keep up the great work. We appreciate the feedback uh, that you and the community sends in from the show, and uh, looking forward to another 150 episodes. Talk to you guys soon. Cheers. Congratulations on your 150th episode. Every show is fun and informative. Trek Radio is always proud and honored to work with you on the weekly broadcast and at conventions and events. May the podcast live long and prosper for another 150 and beyond. Rechoy, Kapla. Hi, this is Midnight Shadow 7. I wanted to say congratulations for reaching episode 150 and thank you for bringing us a great show every single week and also good luck for the podcast awards. Live long and podcast. Hi, Priority One Podcast. This is Matt Miracle here wishing you a great and congratulations for 150 episodes. Can't wait to hear 10 times that amount in the future. You all do a wonderful job, and uh, at least it's appreciated from this uh, fellow listener. So wishing you all the best, and uh, thanks for 150 great episodes. Looking forward to more. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. Hey, guys. Congrats on 158 episodes. We'll uh, catch you later next week. Uh, hope to see you in game. DJ Summerwolf signing off. 
Hello and congratulations to Priority One on your 150th episode. Absolutely astonishing. My name is Christopher Keane. Uh, well, actually, it's Lord Christopher Keane after I bought a substantial piece of land in the Scottish Highlands, a whole square foot, which of course entitles me to the title of Lord. But anyway, this isn't about me, this is about you. I first started listening to Priority One when Chris decided to call time on Stoked. And I must say, never looked back and always catched an episode. Well done, congratulations, and look forward to episode 300. Bye. Hey, this is Al from In Development at Priority One. Hey, and this is Vinny. And this is Lasan. Congratulations to Priority One for 150 episodes. Woo! G'day Priority One, it's uh, Woody Valley here. Big 150, that's a great achievement guys. And uh, Just uh, sitting here looking back and um, you know, I just had a small parts in with you guys and uh, I you know, remember back in episode 68 where I uh, was invited on to uh, review my Floods at Home Part 1 mission in a, in a foundry spotlight. You know, I was, I'm very thankful for that, especially when Elijah had to redo the recording because he called me Woody Allen and uh, mm. little bits and pieces uh, there I remember episode 109 when James asked Adrian to handle his Woody when Adrian read out my uh, reply to a previous episode and I don't know how many times you guys can say that I bought a month from you guys but here's for uh, first 150 and um, hopefully we can see another 150 more guys so uh, cheers well that wraps up episode 150 recorded live on trekradio.net remember every Thursday night we are live recording starting at about 10.30 eastern 7.30 pacific as you know we love hearing from you our loyal listeners if you have a suggestion, an idea, or a topic for any of our segments, or you have general feedback about this episode and you want to answer our community questions, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, and you can reach us now by phone at 609-619-0834 or visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and click the speak pipe widget to leave a message. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or you can check us out on Twitter via at Stow Priority One. Again, Captains, thank you for the ongoing votes over the last two weeks in the ninth annual podcast awards. Don't forget, Priority One Podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. And again, a very special thanks to everyone who has contributed and continues to do so. Also, don't forget to support a friend of Priority One. Check out Splatter Studios' Trek-inspired canvas art by visiting their Etsy store. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. A very special thanks to Dr. Robert Hurt for educating us on the science behind a Dyson Sphere. And to community manager Brandon Branflakes feltzer for talking to us about the community feedback on Season 8. Thanks to the entire team behind PriorityOnePodcast.com, including our new audio engineer, Skiffy, and Priority One's literary editor-in-chief, Kate. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, 
Chris Watts, to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Black Star Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Here's to another 150, guys. Thanks a lot. Enemy ship on sensors. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Mine has a Monster Maroon Star Trek II uniform now. Thank you very much. Uh, Closeness you know, the, yes. of, of the Apple marketplace. We can go oh, on. We can go on, and this is not a show on, about Mac. Yes. So let's, let's right. you're right. You're go right. on Mission Log you're Podcast. Right. Host, is, it, is it Ken? It's Ken, yes. I'm going to go on, on. Yes. Go on OSX his podcast. Ken and talk about Yes, Max. and you can, you can be. You can, you're, you can right. you're right. You're 100%. That horse. Let's, let's, in the meantime, let us move on. Good, because we all know that the real problem is that Android sucks. Okay. Oh no, mute him from the bot. I'm gonna just talk so it's good radio. Because we don't like dead air silence. We like to hear Elijah talk to himself because it's so much fun. Do you want me to. Oh, uh, uh, editor's note Elijah, do you want me to ask that as a question to you or is that you a question to you? You just ask had? it in general. I had, it was a question I had and then I found the answer, but I, th- I still think it's a, a good question to ask. Oh, like then you answer it on the next page. A conversational question, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll ask it as a conversation. Here we go. So, Elijah, is there a time limit on this ability? Or no, is no, it just no. a just like, raw immunity? It's more, you don't have to ask me. I'm just saying it's more like, okay. come on, come on, come on, pull the actor out. Come on. Ah. <clears throat> All right, I'll get a character then. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take Devastation, thanks. I'll have that. The two universal seats on both of, you see, every time I see Voth, I want to say both. Because he's, he's like a Spanish, yes? It's a both. It's, it's a, a both. It's a both. It's a both. It's a both. It's a both. Okay. Still. Go ahead. Doing all of our hosty stuff. Go, you go. Available through the lobby store. Yes, Elijah. Yes, yes, yes Elijah. Yes. There's oh, dead gosh, space, really. and you're the one that hates dead space. You're the one that's always on top of me of dead space, and you're the one that's not talking. I don't understand. <laughs> Stop laughing now so I can read. All right, go. That just blast. makes them more angry. It just makes them mad. Don't make them mad. Shoot them with torpedoes. Wax on, wax off. I'm sorry, I didn't ask whether or not you liked Perfect World of Cryptic. I asked, what are your thoughts about Season 8? I have many thoughts. You get all of them. You can't tell me not to have thoughts. Don't tell me that. I felt like I, felt like I was Neo sitting in front of the architect, and he posed a question, and then... Expecting oh, oh, that you to be able to be misdirected. <laughs> oh, oh, grasshopper! How much you have you to learn? You didn't answer my question. <laughs> Interesting. That was quicker than the others. <laughs> like it? 
Allah, Allah, she's nade, Elijah. Allah, she's nade. Is good. I go, I make, I make dinosaurs go die. I've been saying, how awesome would it be to be able to? I have to sneeze. That's pretty I awesome. To have to start it. I hate that. Don't you hate that? Oh my god, you I hate that, man. Don't I sneeze. Hate, I hate it. Somebody in the chat room said, "Bless you." I know somebody over there in their sitting at their chair said, "Bless you, Elijah." Bless and you. that Cursed somebody it. jinxed it. Somebody. Thank you, though. I appreciate. You. I appreciate the, the good thoughts. Anywho, he loves you. Um, shut up. <laughs> what was I saying? What was I saying? Um, that's right. To another hundred and fifty. To boldly go to three hundred. Or so. Or so. Ish. <laughs> I am. It is not just my it. intention just to alienate it's too late. It's anyone. Just leave, just leave it. The damage. I has love been everyone. Done. I love everyone equally. The damage has been done. And it's... I respect power <laughs> Mac users. I respect power Mac users. Right. Right. Only How a certain subset of Mac users. Right. Good, don't point good, out. Good. Good try. Good try. Out, nice don't try. Don't point out nice. the fact. <laughs> Nice quasi don't, apology there. Well done. Well don't played, sir. point out. <laughs> <laughs> don't point that out. Just let it roll. Just our producers roll. in our little chat room saying, "Grow a spine, Elijah. Grow a spine. <laughs> get in here. Get in here, Elliot. Get in here and and and, and um, back him up. No, but he won't because Elliot's uh, microphone is not good. So, um, all right. So yeah, just take your medicine. Just take your medicine. Damage has been done. Okay. This is good radio where Elijah goes looking through the Google Drive folder and tries to find Star Trek Online news section where he put. Okay, there you go. Six one to nine. Six one to nine. Who was it? One to nine. Hey, party one. This is Brandon. Brand Flakes, uh, community manager for STO. Just wanted to call in and wish you guys uh, a congratulatory. Congratulations. Ah, I'm gonna recall.